Hello and welcome to How to Start Up, a podcast for anyone starting a company in 2020. This is a collection of conversations with people who have all successfully started, run and even sold their own companies, sharing not only professional but personal experiences on what we should be doing now, next or never. In this episode, we hear from Pip Durrell, founder of Shirt Brand with Nothing Underneath. A few years ago, she had the brainwave of creating a brand with a focused and particular look, one that would be cool, elegant, ethical and affordable. And she has gone on to do exactly that. She speaks about fashion fatigue, what it really means to create a brand that is genuinely sustainable and how educating herself as well as her customers is paramount. Hi Pip, thank you so much for joining How to Start Up today. It would be great if you could give a little bit of background as to who you are, your company, when you set it up and just a little bit of introduction would be fantastic. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Uh, My name is Pip and I'm the founder of With Nothing Underneath. We are a sustainable women's shirt brand based in London. We've been going for three years now, which seems mad. I've been working on it full time for one year. It's a very, very simple concept. It's it's really nothing more than that. I just saw a a real gap for women's shirting and thought I should explore that a little further. I, I was originally working in the magazine industry and I thought perhaps it was something to look into. And here we are three years later with a very fast growing startup. What was it about shirts and women's shirting that you thought you really wanted to focus on? When I first came up with the idea, I was working at Vogue and you don't have to be high fashion or glamorous or anything going to work there, but you do need to be polished and well put together. And, you know, a shirt is a very easy uniform. You know, I always say a shirt's very democratic. It's it's really something for everyone. And I loved wearing shirts and I really like a sort of bigger baggy, the sort of cooler look, or, you know, I hate darts or anything tight. So I always wear more men's ones, but they weren't quite right. And I thought, well, I could play around with this shape which I guess it had already been coined as the boyfriend shape. And I thought, well, we could actually try and see if we can make something, you know, cool, elegant, ethical, and affordable. Really something that everyone could wear, you know, from a teenager to an 80-year-old. That was the general idea. So the first idea came from the fact that you're working in a very salubrious and glamorous environment, but you needed to have your own style and you wanted a one-stop shop that could fix that gap. I wouldn't necessarily say I've always been into fashion. I've always been into style, uh, which is very funny because I I literally come from a family in the countryside who have no interest in fashion or style at all. So um, I have no idea where this came from. I think I, you know, I, I loved magazines. I loved the idea of telling a story and creating imagery. And that that's really what got me into it. But once you get into the thick of it and you're seeing those used to be two primary seasons, you know, then became four and endless looks that were coming through, you know, you're looking at 70 looks a season. If you're putting that through four times a year, that that's a huge amount of sort of new clothes that are the thing to wear. And I think I just a bit of fashion fatigue, to be honest. It's certainly not sustainable. It wasn't so much sustainable in the planet sense. I just think fatigue is a great word for it. It just gets a little tiring where every two months you're told something else is new and this is what you need. And, and I actually thought, you know, this isn't style. And you mentioned sustainable. So it's a shirt that you can wear for years and years and years because it's timeless. But also I understand and correct me if I'm wrong but your brand offers a product that has looked at ethical practices and environmentally friendly distribution and things like that is there any more you could share on that oh absolutely I think a massive issue at the moment is greenwashing uh, which is essentially where a company spends more time uh, on their marketing 
talking about being eco-friendly than they actually are working out how to be eco-friendly. And that that's a real issue out, out there for the consumer to know who's telling the truth and yeah, what, what to listen to. There's a lot of noise. I really believe that we need to be looking at the lifespan of an item of clothing as well as the production and materials. So you ought to be looking at something and going, you know, am I going to wear this for years to come? And also were these materials originally organic? Who's made them? You know, who made your clothes? And I try not to be preachy, but say to my friends, like we go on holiday and everyone's bought six different bikinis, one for each day or something. Well, if that, if that costs you 10 pounds from H&M, who do you think made that? And that's really what you've got to think about when you look at the cost of clothing now. We've always come into this saying, you know, we want to use the highest quality materials. And of course, ensure that the chain, literally from soil to shelf, is ethical. And with that, a cotton shirt, we, you know, that, that then has built into our price point, starting price of £85. That's a tight margin we work off. I mean, quite frankly, there's some high fashion houses who make shirts in the same place as us with the same cottons who charge 400 So that was another thing. It was sort of ethics when it comes to your customer. Are you overcharging? Are you are you truly looking at the well, the worth and value and how you can run a company, or are you Philip Green on your yacht? It's a different way of thinking about things. You know, of course, we're we're not non profit, but I don't want it for it to be about making as much money as possible. I want to make a wonderful brand and enjoy working for it. And ultimately, you will build a more sustainable brand for the future because your clients will value that. I think this is the thing I'm finding with brands who are launching now saying we're sustainable. It's like, does that mean you've built a sustainable office that's environmentally friendly or you've looked at how you source your materials or you're looking after the people in your pipeline? There's so many areas of sustainability, but there isn't one checklist that says, yep, you've met all that criteria. You are sustainable. But the fact you have done that is amazing. There's always more we can do. That's something we're also very open about. Uh, we, we have a sustainability statement on our website and it, you know, it very much says this is what our plan is next year. You know, we're looking at buttons made from the proteins in milk and we're looking at a, a material made out of seaweed and um, a toweling material made from bamboo. And that's the other thing to be pushing forward, to be making the brand really living up to, to, to our chat. We, we really need to be pushing that forward. We can't just go, we use organic cotton full stop. And I think it's, it's, it's a social responsibility to, to educate ourselves and to educate our customers. But that also impacts in the fact that you're a small startup or actually not so small anymore. But to start with, you've laid in budget for finance and time for you to go out and research all of that as well. That's a huge cost to the business. The time is is definitely a huge thing. Our production team is now a team of two, which is fantastic because obviously for every team now, that that was all me. So when you're starting, you don't have the time to be looking for the new best thing. And so what's been really exciting is as we've grown on a finance level, we're putting everything back into the company and that's allowing us to grow our production team and therefore be looking for the new best thing in, in sustainable clothing making. Well, that actually brings me to my first question. <laughs> we got off on a tangent. Is what was it you did first when you started your company? I started the company with my then flatmate, um, who's still a very, very good friend of mine. 
I very drunkenly one night, I said, you know, I've got this idea. What do you think? I'd really like to do it with someone else. She was like, that's great. And she was working in events at the time. And we sort of started by cutting up shirts at the kitchen table. And we went and found this little factory in Twickenham who made up essentially our first sample. When I say it was a kitchen table startup, it truly was in every sense of the word. We found almost everything from Googling it. We had no contacts in the industry at all. And I was still working at Tatler at the time. So in terms of the industry, I had to be very quiet. We sort of did everything badly. We set up company's house wrong. We set up our our business bank account wrong. We, in fact, didn't hire an accountant in time and actually started trading illegally, unbeknownst to us. You can then backtrack, so don't worry. Her Majesty's government, I'm fine. But no, it was we made a lot of a lot of messes that we had to untangle because we went in on a really in a really casual way. So actually, I would say to anyone, no matter how casually you're thinking about it, do do everything by the book. And and quite frankly, the first person you need to speak to is an accountant. Find one you can afford because that's really what you'll need the help with. And who do you listen to now for advice? Oh, I'm I'm really shameless, and I definitely think it pays off. Uh, you know, I, I knew someone who knew the guy who owned Sipsmith, you know, which is one of the great success stories of a British brand. And I, I knew someone who who knew him. And I said, look, would you set me up with him? He was so kind. I emailed him out of the blue and I said, look, can I pick your brains? And he gave me an hour of his time. He, he checks in on email. He's so great at um, being a champion. You know, he's not connected officially, but he's just sort of carried on being a support, which I just think is a really cool thing, having been so successful himself. And another great meeting, again, I heard someone talking about knowing Adam Brown of All About Brown. And I'd heard of their huge sellout, Chanel. And I I said, you know, do you think he'd talk to me? And again, they, they said, oh, you know, you can but try. And he gave me half an hour of his time and was really, really insightful. What I have done is just just go out there and ask. And people are always happy to give their advice in their time. It's incredible. Someone else said to me the other day, if you don't tell people what you need, they're not going to know how to help you. It's the old age-old thing. If you don't ask, you don't get. And I think that that's so true for anything in a startup. And then also, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I think you have to be careful because there's a lot of noise out there. So, you you know, if yeah. you listen to um, Guy Raz's How to Build It, you know, it we skip from, I had the idea and then suddenly we had 200 million pounds worth of financing. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> I really enjoy listening to other people sort of saying how they started and their peaks and troughs. And given the year that we've had, how have you managed to stay creative and inspired being in lockdown, given that you're a people person and you're always talking to people? I really struggled with my work. I just couldn't get motivated. I didn't like working from the kitchen table. I didn't like not having the separation. I worked full time. So I, you know, I really wasn't clocking off. I just, um, I don't feel I was at my best. And and the moment we could come back to London, I was straight back in. And have you got any advice for that? Because I'm six months in and I'm struggling to know the end of my day and knowing when, when it's okay to actually switch off. I think it, it's it's a learning curve. And also, I think that's the other thing. You know, when you listen to like other people's days and they say, I'm up at five and I'm a late nighter, not an early morninger. And, you know, if I want to get in at 9.30, that's absolutely fine. If I want to grab, I you know, I really enjoy doing Pilates in the morning or going for a run. Um, now I have a dog, so I walk her. And I love that start to my day a little slower. And then I'll stay a little later. Um, and that that's just the way I, I function. So I think don't be too dictated about what people say. And also... Don't be sucked into the busy culture. You know, oh, we're all so busy. 
it's it's not you don't need to wear it like a, a medal. I try and be as proactive as I can during work times. And then, you know, I then I come home and I'm I haven't brought my laptop and I have supper or watch TV and haven't have an enjoyable evening. And you know, uh, God, maybe that's a flaw. I, I don't know. Or well, not if you're happy with where your company's at and it's doing really well. I do think really well is it's I'm really pleased with where it is, but I think it also ties back into this sort of when you do a startup, what is it that you want? I'm not sort of like, how do I become the next Bill Gates? I'm not here to make my work my life. And I've only learned that in the last year. I want to build a company where everyone there enjoys going to work. And I'm, I'm really inspired by the founder of Patagonia, Yvonne Chouinard. He wrote a book called Let My People Go Surfing or something something along those lines, which I've read a few times. And, and it, it's really about not only for you, but also for your employees. That If suddenly, they're based in California, if the sun shone and the surf was up, clock off, go enjoy it, and then work on your Saturday instead. Well, the, the freedom and autonomy we now all have, because we're grown-ups and we should be able to be trusted to do our work. Absolutely. And I've now got a very small team, but every single one of them is so self-motivated. I don't need to micromanage, and I base, I don't think you can hire for a startup if you're going to have to micromanage someone. And it's, I guess, ma- managing yourself. I think the hunger and the fear of owning a startup does tend to keep you motivated keeps you sharp for sure and just on hiring people at at what point did you think right I'm going to bring some talent into the business hiring has been my hardest the hardest trial so far by by a long shot about a year ago I brought in a part-time person to help with production and that was the biggest game changer that allowed the business start functioning properly and how do you continually learn or upskill and stay relevant I'm constantly assessing the market I'm always on Instagram. I'm addicted. Yeah, I think I'm assessing the market, but also not being overly affected by it. That's that's very crucial. It's seeing what everyone else is doing. It's, it's like being in a running race. You want to see over your right shoulder, but you're also not going to start running to their tempo. You just want to know where they're at. So as such, I, I probably tend to look at uh, just other women's clothing brands, other ethical brands, drama brands, swimwear brands, because of our linen market is very much bikini overthrow. So I guess there's different markets that I do continually assess and then recenter myself and remember what we're about. Because sometimes I find myself going off on a tangent and thinking, oh gosh, they're doing that that way. And then I think, no, that's not us. Does that help you then work out your pricing of the product? So yeah, I I don't like to look too much at other people in a comparison way. I like to just see what they're doing because I'm interested. I try not to compare because I also think it's actually not smart for you as a brand. You've got to remember who you are and what your message is. And if you get too swayed by anyone else, you'll forget where you were going. Is there anything that really surprised you about becoming your own boss that you didn't expect? Oh, everything. Almost everything. I, you know, I, I, I have no... I, I had no idea about taxes or payroll or no, the financial aspect I definitely struggle with. But no, I think everything's everything is a test. I've learned over the three years to sort of take it more in my stride, not to get too stressed about things. Take a deep breath and take the dog around the park if I've just had a bad phone call. It's it's the shark you can't see that bites you, isn't it? Things come out of nowhere that you're just like, what? <laughs> I need to learn about that. I do I always joke that my to-do list, by the time I'm in the office on Thursday and answered all my emails and then taken the phone calls and, and the different things that cropped up and I'm, I've not ticked off anything that I'd planned to do. So that's what I sometimes find hard. And I think just get, getting on top of that has allowed me to be a little calmer. I just don't think you can probably switch off as a founder, to be honest. 
my boyfriend was in the army. So we hadn't seen each other for three months. We'd booked a holiday and he got back on, say, the Thursday. On Friday, we flew to Greece. And this is in 2019. And the day we land, my phone pings, Daily Mail, Meghan Markle wears with nothing underneath. At which point I was like, oh my God, I'm so thrilled. But also I didn't take a laptop with me. I was just on a phone. You know, every morning I worked and every afternoon I left my phone in the room and we went out on little adventures to make sure we sort of had that time. But I just, it essentially meant that I worked every day of our holiday. But with that opportunity, that's a game changer for your business. You can't ignore it. Exactly. And you you wouldn't anyway. Every day on holiday, I check my emails. I've got a very competent team now. So the last holiday I took, I didn't really have to do much, but I'm still overseeing it. And at the end of the day, no matter how big or small, the buck stops with someone. And you know, it's a small startup. The buck definitely stops with you. What is it you enjoy the most about being self-employed? The freedom is huge. It's amazing. I do look a bit at our lives and I think this whole 25 days holiday a year, is that living? When did we become like this? I think, you know, the irony being you work 365 days a year when you're a founder. So it's not about that. I think it's just about, yeah, having the control over it. And also I love what I do. I feel very passionate about it. I love what I do. And I think that's that's the greatest joy. Essentially create a, a hobby and you turn it into a, a business that pays you a paycheck. And if you could go back and do it all over again, is there anything that you wouldn't do? Worry so much. And that's not to say that we couldn't fold next year. You know, no one's ever safe um, in that sense, but there's no point constantly worrying. So whether we increase our revenue by another 200% next year or we fold, there's not much point worrying about either. And I think I, I basically spent the first two years just completely stressing myself out. And, and now I'm learning to enjoy it. Thank you, Pip, so much for your time today. It's been really interesting chatting to you about Nothing Underneath. Thank you so much for having me. I feel very honoured. I hope there was something interesting in that. It's been really interesting to hear how Pip's value of style over fashion has led her to create something democratic that everyone can wear, whatever their age, and something too that has excellent sustainability credentials. It's also good to hear how much she values her work-life balance. If you'd like to contact Pip and hear more about With Nothing Underneath, you'll find all of her details in the show notes as well as a recap of the advice she has shared. I wanted to thank all the listeners who sent in questions for future guests. I really do appreciate your feedback as we're all in this together. Do listen out for the answers in the next few weekly episodes and I would love to encourage anyone else with questions to send them in. Thank you for listening to How to Start Up, hosted by me, Juliet Fallowfield, founder of PR consultancy for startups, Fallowfield and Mason. I hope these conversations offer you some confidence, encouragement and reassurance that you're on the right track. I would be delighted if you'd rate, review and share this podcast with anyone else who might be starting a company in 2020.